in that, we run into trouble. He is our everything. The, uh, the world, society, and the modern church, unfortunately, uh, have looked to things that are incapable of saving us, incapable of redeeming us. And you can put this in your book. I don't exactly know how it's going to come out. I don't exactly know how it's going to happen word for word. I don't know all the details about it, but I will tell you this. That the time will come when we will have to choose. And we will have to make even the public choice if we have to. That we're going to trust him for everything. Every individual is going to have to come to a point. Every congregation, every, every religion, whatever you want to call it. But it's going to come to a point. Uh, I guess put it this way. You know, there's the old saying is you got all your eggs in one basket. I think uh, over time here, uh, we've kind of lost sight of the fact that uh, this thing all started with all of our eggs in one basket. And we've gotten smart. We've gotten... We professing our, ourselves wise, we become fools and we, we start looking to this for our deliverance. We start looking to that for our, our peace. We start looking to that for our joy. And uh, before we know it, we got all of our hopes in several different avenues. And I just want to say that before the Lord comes back, those that are his, put this in your book, young man, that before the Lord comes back, those that are his are going to have all of their eggs in one basket. In him, we will live, we will move, and we will have our being. The bride that he's coming back for is going to be so tied into him that we don't even take a breath throughout the day without thinking that it came from him. So tied in. How, he's, how exactly he's going to do that, I don't know. But I do believe that the things that we have come to trust in, he's going to put his hand on. And I think if it's a crutch that we're leaning on and it's not him, he might just kick it out from underneath us uh, because he loves us and he realizes there's only one door, there's only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one life, and it's all in him. That old chorus, I want to break into it, you know, if I had it. It's all in him, it's all in him. Put a bunch of stuff in there. Oh, the Lord, my Redeemer, and he's all in him. Holy Ghost and... All in him. All those things, all in him. If you turn your attention with me, thank you for being here today. Exodus chapter number 25. We're going to read a couple of verses from that chapter. And then uh, we have you seated. While you're turning there, I want to uh, re-stress and uh, re-promote our outreach offering, which we are going to be taking up here in the near future. We will announce the date so you can be ready. But we want you to pray about it. We want you to pray about an offering that you would give that's going to go in the field. We are already redirecting resources from inside the house to in the field. Our purpose this year is to affect the harvest. Uh, our purpose this year is to uh, share, to bless people, to share our faith, and to help them with their next steps. And those are the things we're going to be focusing on throughout 2024. And uh, I want to thank those. Our Valentine Day outreach was successful. We so thank you for 
uh, being a part of that. And that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to expand from there. But we are looking for you to give an offering toward our outreach. This is our speakers that are coming in, Jesus Tent Revival, all of the things we're gonna be doing to affect the harvest. Now, how we have this designed is we want you to pray about it. We want you to give generously and sacrificially. Now, this is, goes beyond your normal giving. This is what the Bible talks about as offerings. We give it generously. We give it sacrificially. Out of our heart, we give this. And it is going to go toward the harvest, toward our ability to reach the lost. And uh, so pray about that amount. And which, what we will do on that day, we, you will submit your offering. Put it in an envelope, cash, check, however you do that. Uh, faith teams, we will do it on that day. You will, you will give the offering. You're giving the offering for outreach. But there's an opportunity for you to possibly get some biblical historical artifacts which are out there in the vestibule which have been dug up with recent excavations that are happening in the Holy Land. And there's several things that are out there, one of which dates the time of King David. And uh, others, the, the, the virgin oil lamp and the the cruise of oil dates the time of Christ. Those things are out there. If you want to submit your offering toward one of those things, then you will put that item name and number on your envelope along with your offering. Turn it in. And uh, whatever the high, high bid is, you will achieve, you will get that particular item that you wrote on there. You're not doing it for the items. You're doing it for outreach. But we have just put these within there as a way. I think it'd be pretty cool to have something that dates the time of Christ. I think that'd be pretty cool. We find something that's a hundred, we find a hundred year old bottle cap around here and we go, wow, you know, and but you can find something that's 2,000 years old in your home, something that's 4,000 years old that dates the time of David. So that's how we'll do it. We will take that offering in a few weeks. Um, also, February 26th, one week from tomorrow night, Monday evening, February 26th, we will have our annual business meeting. And we will also have communion on that night. So we will have our business meeting followed by communion. Exodus 25, uh, verse number 31. It's my phone. Hey, brother. Exodus 25, verse 31. And you shall make a candlestick of pure gold of beaten work. Uh, shall the candlestick be made. Verse 32. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick on one side and three on the other. Verse 39 of 25 says this, a talent of pure gold, you shall make it with all the vessels. Verse 40, and look that you make them, look that you make this according after their pattern, which was showed you in the mount. You can be seated. Thank you for being here. You know, we have, we have endeavored over the last few weeks and sprinkled it in there where we are talking about uh, the tabernacle of Moses and the reason we are looking at it is because it is a pattern of heavenly things, pattern after the tabernacle that's in the heavens, as it has been said. And uh, the Bible said of the new covenant believer that you and I become the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're the temple, the tabernacle where God dwells, God uh, gave the tabernacle to Moses so that he could dwell among his people. And through the new covenant, this building is not the house of God. It's where the, it's where the assembly meets. That's what makes it special. 
You could have a church that's dedicated to this, or you could have church in a bowling alley. But once the church steps in there, it becomes a dwelling, it becomes the house of God. But you and I are the real temple of the Holy Ghost. It is a temple that's not made with hands. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that is, it's, uh, it's born from above, made by the hand of God. And you and I become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And each of these pieces of furniture within the tabernacle of Moses represents the work of redemption, the work of Jesus Christ, that his spirit lives within us. And so all of these things and what they represent become a part of the believer in this spiritual covenant. And so we have talked about a few of those things and we've already uh, talked about a few things over the last few weeks. We've entered the gates, his gates with thanksgiving. The Bible said enter his gates with thanksgiving, come into his courts with praise. And we, you could preach message after message on that. We sacrificed a few weeks ago at the altar of incense, the altar of sacrifice. That's where uh, Christ died for us and the work of his, his love toward us was manifested. And it's there where we repent. It's where we die out to our flesh uh, and the fire of God that's continually burning on that altar uh, burns the work of the flesh and sin out of our life. We came a little, a few weeks later and we uh, washed at the labor of water uh, where we baptized in his name where we are then allowing afterward his word to wash us and wash our mind and to change our thinking. But the outer court, those are the things that are in the outer court. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We come into his courts with praise and, and we, are, we sacrifice at the altar uh, of, 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 of incense, the altar of sacrifice, excuse me, uh, then we also wash at the labor in water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And, but that's the outer court. And uh, if, if we did this today, there would be a curtain that would go all the way across the, the sanctuary today. And inside that next phase is the, what's called the holy place. It's called the sanctuary. And it's there where we find three pieces of furniture, the golden lampstand, uh, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense, the other two of which we will talk about as we proceed through the tabernacle. Um, but the outer court is where a lot of people stay. It's where a lot of, where far too many people remain. They remain in the outer court, a touch of God on their life, and a, a desire, and, and a call, and they sense that something's going on there, but... It's where a lot of people remain. And perhaps it's because the outer court is lit with natural light. Everybody can see what's happening there. Perhaps it's because our human reasoning can quantify things that are in the natural light. Our human reasoning and our carnal mind can see things where there's natural light. Perhaps that's where the reason why many stay in the outer court. You see, the holy place is lit with a different light. And... It's the only source of light that is in the holy place. And it is the golden lampstand. Or in some versions of the Bible, it's translated as a candlestick, but it's the golden lampstand. And it is inside an area that is sealed off to the outer court. As you would come to the sanctuary or the holy place, that is, as it is called in the scripture, there would be a dividing curtain. And uh, everything on the outer court remained on the outer court. And it would be separated completely from outside influence. And the only way to see what was inside was to enter into the holy place. Yet only those who mind the spirit, only those who walk by faith and not by sight, 
are the ones who will look to enter. And not only enter, but they would look to live there. You know, it is important that if a man is not drawn, I want to say this, if a man is not drawn by the Spirit, he can't live for God anyway. We need to understand it, it takes a drawing of the Spirit. And, and I've said this before, it doesn't mean that, that God is not drawing you purposely. No, what it means is, is does Jesus and the thought of him and the redemption work of him and the thought of our creator, does it draw you? Uh, I could name some restaurants right here. And some of you go, eh. It doesn't draw me. There's some restaurants it draws me. There's some I don't go to. You know why? Not because I'm not hungry. Not because I don't need food, but because they just don't draw me. And there's some that draw you and there's some that draw others. And basically there are those who are drawn by the, by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which are not of the Father. And then there are those who are drawn to the things of God. And what I want to say to you is if we are not drawn by the things of God, you can't even live for God. I want to be drawn by I want to be drawn by God. I want to be drawn by the things of God. I don't want to remain in the outer court. I want to I want to be drawn to walk by faith and not by sight. I want to I want to see what's going on in the things of God. I want to go farther than just a touch of God on my life or just a God conscience or just a God blessing. And you see uh, uh, but only those who walk by faith who mind the spirit and perhaps that's the reason the main reason why those who remain in the outer court do so. You see, once you come into the holy place, the only source of light that was in there was the golden lampstand. And the source of the light of the lampstand, its fuel was oil. And the oil, without going into all of the, we could spend, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks only on this piece of furniture alone, but I told you we wouldn't do that. The oil itself represents the spirit of God. There was no light in the holy place without the oil in the lampstand. Might it even be brought to our attention. The outside can be cleaned and proper. It can look good. It can look like it needs to go. But the inside can be empty and full of dead men's bones. And so it's not just about having the lampstand. It's about the oil that is in the lampstand that gives the light because there's only one source of light. Once the curtain closed from the outer court, you, there was no, not one beam of natural light came into the holy place. The only way you could see once you entered it was by the light of the lampstand. And the source of oil was the spirit that's representative of the spirit. But I want to say here that it is far more vital than just having light. It's far more vital than just being able to see. Because the apostle John in his gospel in the first chapter he links together light and life. He links together God as light and the light of God being the life of God and the life of man. He links light and life together. So then it can be said that not only is there no light without the oil in the lampstand, we can say there is no life without the Holy Spirit. Not only is it just about seeing, it's about living. And so let me say this. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, chapter 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you has he quickened. That means he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. 
The Bible said in Romans 8 and 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make your mortal body alive by the spirit that dwells in you. I will say this emphatically and with emphasis. This Holy Spirit baptism is everything. It is a matter of life and death. Can I get a witness? This Holy Spirit baptism is everything. It's a matter of life and death. Without the Spirit, there is no life. Well, if it's that important, Pastor, if it's that important, Pastor, then let me ask you, we, we, we need to make sure, we need to make sure that we have it. If it's the only source to see, if it's the only way to end, and Jesus said some, this is a precursor to the time when we're actually fully born again at our resurrection, but Jesus told Nicodemus, if you're not born of the Spirit, you can't see the kingdom. If you're not born again, he said you can't see the kingdom, neither can you enter the kingdom. So not only is it about seeing, this is far more than seeing. You see, you can go to heaven blind, but you can't go to heaven dead. You can go to heaven without your eyesight, but you can't go to heaven without the life of God. Do you realize that the only thing that is eternal is God himself? The spirit of God is eternal. Everything else was created. And that is how you have eternal life. You now have, through the baptism of the spirit, the very life of God himself in your mortal body. That's the only way you have eternal life is that his life, which is eternal, makes your body alive. It's the spirit which raises us from the dead. It's the spirit which will quicken our mortal body and make it from mortality to immortality and we will live eternally by the eternal spirit of the one true God. So this water baptism, this, this spirit baptism, this Holy Ghost baptism is everything. It is a matter of life and death. So we should make sure we know. And of course, this is a great point of contention in the world today. But since I have the pulpit, I'm gonna go ahead and Preach what the word says. I know I hate to quote scripture on you, but I think that's probably the best way to do it. Now, how do we know that we have his spirit? How do we, if it's a matter of life and death, let me ask you the question. Do you want to just keep coming in and going through the outer court and feeling the blessing of God and being around a good group of people? Or do you want this eternal life thing that the Bible said that's the only way you're going to be able to live? If it's a matter of life and death, I want life. Now again, I realize there are those who don't want it. Listen, we have to come to grips with this. There are people who are not going to want to live for God. They want to have. They, the Bible said that there'll come a day when you have you have, uh, and it's it. This is not this is not supposed to be gender specific per, per se. It's just an example. But the Bible said that in that day, the seven women will come to one man, and they'll say, "We want to join ourselves to you. We only want your name." We don't want the restrictions. We don't want, we don't, we, we don't want what it means to actually represent you. We only want, we want to be called after your name, but we want to be able to, free to be free to live how we want. There are people, that's mainstream religion. There are people who are going to do that, and they're going to sing the songs of Zion, but when the time comes, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that. And you say, I never knew you. My life was never in you. You never really took on my name. You were never really called by my name. You just wanted the benefits of being mine without the responsibility of being mine. 
It's kind of like a child who loves to live in their father's house, love all the benefits of protection and the privilege of provision. But when the rules come down, mom and dad hates them. They don't want to be there. How do I know? This is the most common response. I know in my heart. I just know in my heart. You might not raise your hand, but maybe you've said that. I just know in my heart. Well, let's see what the Bible said. The Bible said in Jeremiah 17 and 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked and you can't know it. No man can know the heart. What we say we know in our heart, it's deceiving. We can't know it. The Bible said in verse 10 of that chapter, the Lord searches the heart. The Lord tries. Only the Lord knows the heart. You can't know your own heart. You can't even know your own self. That's why Paul said, when I make judgment, I can't even judge in myself because I can't trust my own judgment. That's why I said there's some things I just let it go until the real judge stands in and says, when the real judge makes judgment, it's perfect because he knows everything. Some things Paul said, I just don't know. And I can't rely on my own judgment because my own judgment is deceiving. My own heart will deceive myself. So we know that we can't just know our own heart. We can't just know in our own heart. Well, easy believism, and I would call it the modern church. Hear me. Places the proof of Holy Spirit baptism on the act of the human rather than the witness of God. Easy believism puts the proof of Holy Spirit baptism on the act of the human rather than the witness of God. How do we do that? I'm not taking you away from this. This has to be done. Believe in your heart. I've seen it countless times. Just come. Everybody stand. I want you to repeat what's called the sinner's prayer by which, again, the only reason I come against this is because you won't find that anywhere used in the scripture. You'll find nobody that came to Christ praying the sinner's prayer. No record of it anywhere. Nowhere found in the Bible. But what is done in that, what is done in that act is important. They are steps to salvation. But we have, we have everybody stand. Somebody wants to come forward, and I'm not throwing off on this. I thank God for every step that people take toward God. But let us understand, there's more than the outer court, ladies and gentlemen. There's more than just a touch of God. There's more than just a blessing of God. There's more than just a conscience of God. There's actually the life of God that awaits us. And without the Spirit, we have no life. Repeat the prayer. And we repeat the prayer, and they say, now you, if you've done that and you believe in your heart, you're saved. We want to hear, we want to hear. And, I, and again, I don't throw off on the steps. But what happened there is they have put the proof of Spirit baptism on the man doing a specific act instead of putting it, the proof on the witness of God because only God knows if they believed. Only God knows if it's in their heart. Only God knows the heart. You can't know it and no preacher can tell you it. This is between you and God. That's the design of this covenant. God, it's a personal thing. So, don't take my word for it, but I'll tell you this. The act of belief within man does not fill us with the Holy Spirit. The act of belief and confession doesn't automatically fill us with the Spirit. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, He's the one who fills with the, somebody. I need, I need a witness in the house. Yeshua is the one who baptizes with Holy Ghost and fire. It's not the preacher. It's not the act. Yeshua is the one who baptizes us. So therefore, the act of the human cannot be the proof of spirit baptism. 
We've got to put the proof on the very witness that comes from God and God alone. But don't take my word for it. Let's see what the Bible said. Acts chapter eight, verse number five. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Jesus Christ there. And the people with one accord gave heed unto the things which Philip spoke. And they heard and saw the miracles which we did. We saw healings, we saw miracles, we saw all of those things. But yet we don't see salvation yet. In verse number 12, and when they believed the things that Peter, that had he preached concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, sounds like there's some believers there, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 14, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John unto them, who when they came down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For the Spirit had not fallen on any of them as of yet. They were only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 19, here's another scenario. Peter or Paul finds certain disciples coming and he says to them, have you received the spirit since you believed? And they said to him, we don't even know that there is. Have I even heard about any Holy Spirit? In Acts chapter one, verse four, being assembled together, with the Lord, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but they should wait for the promise. He said, for John truly, truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. You know what that means? They didn't have it yet. They weren't filled yet. You're not gonna be filled and then him tell you go somewhere and wait until you're filled. You're filled. He said, you haven't been filled yet. Go there and wait until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do these scriptures tell us? Well, it tells us simply that the act of believing and confessing does not constitute Holy Spirit baptism. We are filled when he gives us his spirit. Hear me right now. We are not filled when we do an act. We are filled when he fills us with his spirit. I want you to understand something. The receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost is not by your act. It is faith and then he pours out the Spirit. Somebody needs to get this because you, you can't go any further without this. You don't get it by shaking a preacher's hand or following a, a code or a formula. You receive it when he pours it out. I don't know about you, but I want to receive it the way he said to receive it. I want to receive it the way that everybody else received it. I don't want it easy, I want it right. I don't want mainstream, I want to be in the stream. It tells us, these scriptures I just read to us, it tells us that the act of believing and confessing does not constitute Holy Spirit baptism. We're filled when he fills us with the spirit. He told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and stay there until you receive the spirit. I got a question. How did they know when to leave? He told them, go there and don't leave until you receive the spirit. How did they know to leave? Well, he didn't leave it up to a feeling. He didn't leave it up to an emotion. He didn't leave it up to the human ability to discern. No, he gave them a supernatural witness that they had been filled with the Spirit. Listen, it wasn't the act. It wasn't the act of them going. It wasn't the act of them waiting that filled them with the Spirit. It was their faith and obedience to the Word of God that they waited and tarried until he baptized them. 
And I'm telling you, that's when you know you've been baptized. When he baptizes you with the spirit. Not when you come up and repeat a prayer. Not when you shake the preacher's hand. Not when you go, that's not it. You are filled with the Holy Ghost when he baptizes you with the spirit. I don't know about you, but I want a revival of old-fashioned baptism. I want a revival of people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I feel him in this place. You don't get taught how to receive the Holy Ghost. We pray people through sometimes because we just have to have the right mentality. We've got to believe, and, and sometimes we help people believe. But I think sometimes we get so much pressure of someone receiving the Holy Ghost that we put so much tension and so much stuff on our ability to pray them through. Can I tell you something right now? I don't want it in my ability to pray. What happens if you don't have somebody in the church that's good at praying somebody through? They can't receive the Holy Ghost? Oh, hogwash. I can receive the Holy Ghost when I seek after him and he fills me with the Spirit. Listen, preachers, we need to have the emphasis on the work of the Spirit, not our ability to do it. We don't need nobody teaching somebody how to talk in tongues or getting in their ear and doing it all, all that stuff. We don't, no, we need, I, I'm praying. I want, let me tell you something. We got a sister in this church and she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our Jesus tent revival last year and she's still sticking and staying. I'm telling you something. I've seen some things over the last few years where I'm not no man's judge because I don't know their heart, but I'm telling you something. I know the real deal when I see it and there's something that, there is a witness from God that can not be denied. Now we know what the fruit of the Spirit is the thing that shows our maturity and our growing, but you don't have the fruit of the Spirit the moment you're filled with the Spirit. Fruit grows, has to take time to develop. Hallelujah. He baptized him with the, he, he gave them a supernatural witness. And I hate to quote scripture on you. But since they put it in there, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with all one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And it appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance in Acts 19 and when Paul talked to them about receiving the Holy Spirit and he found out what was going on with their, their mentality he explained to them baptism in Jesus name and when he had baptized them verse 19 or verse 9 or verse 6 of Acts 19 says this and when Paul had laid his hands on them the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied in Peter's account in Acts chapter 10 when Peter preached the word verse 44 the Holy Spirit fell on all them which heard the word. And as many that came with Peter, in verse 45, they were astonished because on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know? They couldn't see their heart. They didn't have time for fruit to develop. How did the, how did the Jews know that Cornelius' house had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? In verse 46, because they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Oh, I see, the, I see the handwriting on the wall right now. Boy, pastor, you're preaching this year. You're eliminating a lot of Christians. I'm not eliminating nothing. I didn't write it. 
But while we're on that point, do you know what the Bible does say? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And I'm going to divide. I'm going to divide. There's going to be a, the truth divides. When Jesus spoke the truth in John 6, 6, many of them left and would not follow him no more because it was too hard for them to hear. And Jesus looks at the 12 and said, are you going to go too? And here's what he said, where are we going to go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. I, I don't have explanations for everything that goes on in the religious world. God's got to work that out. I'll just know this. People come to the truth in many different ways and many different fashions. And I think we ought to be ashamed of ourselves if we stop somebody's growth because we have accounted that the relationship they have with God is of no account. That's not right. What we got to do is admonish them to come out of the outer court and get to the place where you're filled with the Spirit the way that the Bible said you're filled with the Spirit. Well, praise God. Peter, in his message to those in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost, when, he, when they asked him the question about what the speaking in tongues meant, in verse 16 and 17, he said this, this tongues, this that you're hearing and seeing, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel when the Lord said, I will pour out my spirit. Let me quote a scripture together. Peter, God, tied the initial evidence of speaking in tongues with the baptism of the Spirit. It's been done right there in Scripture. They ask what it meant. What does this mean, these people speaking in languages that they didn't learn? And Peter said, this tongues, this that you're talking about is what was spoken by the prophet Joel when God said, I'm gonna pour out my Spirit. Let me quote a Scripture to you. What God has joined together, let no man try to separate. Oh, bless God. We only hear that during marriage ceremony. But when God joins something together, man, should, man cannot take it apart. And when he was asked by the Jewish believers, when he went to the Gentiles, that was a big uproar. You went to the Gentiles. You're not supposed to go to the Gentiles. This is a big hubbubble. What are you doing, Peter? You went to the Gentiles. I mean, they were getting ready. They had some issues with Peter. You're not supposed to go to the Gentiles. That's not what we do. Uh, so on and so forth. And, and Peter, Peter said, wait, wait, before you do this, let me tell you what happened. And he recites to them the vision and the prayer and all the stuff that happened. He recites the experience. And then he finished with this. And brethren, as I preached, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like it did on us at the beginning. What do you want me to do? God filled them with the same spirit the same way that we did. What do you want me to do about it? Well, bless God. What do these scriptures tell us? These scriptures tell us that we are filled when he fills us with the spirit. And the supernatural sign of speaking in other tongues is what he has chosen as a witness to the believer. It's a witness. Again, do we want to put our trust in our own heart? Do we want to put our trust in the act of man as proof of receiving the Spirit? Or do we want to put our proof of receiving the Spirit when God stands on the thing and says, I witnessed that. I'm a witness to that. Here's my witness to it. See, I know in the day and age in which we live, there's a way that seems right into a man and there's a lot of ways and a lot of great orators of which I am not one. And the more and more I preach and the more and more I study, the more and more I realize I gotta rely on the spirit more than I ever have before. 
But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of things that can look flowery, and it can be, as a matter of fact, this is what Paul said. When I came to you the first time, I came with enticing words of man's wisdom. And Paul realized, I can't go like that again, because there's always somebody who can form a greater argument. There's always somebody who can form it a better way. Somebody who's got, you listen to a debate and you hear one side, you go, oh yeah, they make pretty good things. And then this guy over here, he gives this debate, say, well man, he's got a pretty good thing. It's like post-tribulation and pre-tribulation. They, they both can't be right. But they both teach it with adamant belief and scripture and all that stuff. What do you do about that? In the end time, God will reveal revelation and he'll give understanding when it's needed. That's just how he said it's gonna be done in his book. We're gonna be led by the spirit. But you, you could have different arguments. That's why Paul said, but the next time I came, I'm not gonna come with enticing words of man's wisdom. I'm gonna come in demonstration of the spirit and power. So we can't do it by the way that somebody makes it sound or taking a few scriptures out of context. It's not the act that equals baptism of the spirit. It's when he fills you with the spirit that you receive the spirit. And God's not gonna leave that up to your human reasoning. He is going to give you the same supernatural sign that he gave them at the beginning. Holy Ghost baptism is not an added extra to salvation. It isn't like options on our vehicle that make living for God more pleasant. You know, cruise is standard now. And uh, they even make lights that, on some of them that will automatically brighten when you, when you need to, when there's no cars coming. And then they dim when the cars come ahead of you. How many got one of those? You got a couple of those? Okay, that's, I, I hate that thing. <laughs> I hate that thing. You know, I, I, I grew up driving. How many of y'all can relate to this? None of you have not a clue as to what I'm talking about here. <laughs> How many remember, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You got the old, you got the old button that looks like the top of one of those uh, breath spray mint cans, you know. <laughs> you got one of those little, the little steel button down, you go click, 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 click. That's how you used to put the brights on. I was trained, I was trained on that stuff. Oh, can I say right now, we've got so much fancy stuff now that we've had in our world that's made living so much easier that we have forgotten the things that trained us in the things of God. And we've, go, we've leaned on this and we've leaned on that. I don't know what we're gonna do if my cruise doesn't automatically stop me when I get too close to somebody. I'll tell you what you do, learn how to drive right and keep the right distance and learn how to use the brake. In the day and age in which we live, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, we're gonna need to learn how the spirit operates. We're gonna need to learn and know how God operates this thing. Praise God. So it's not an option on a vehicle. Makes your life easier to live for God. No, it's a salvation issue. Holy Spirit baptism is a sanctification issue. Spirit baptism is the life of Jesus Christ. And it's the life that, that raises us, us from the dead, makes us alive, and it's the life that helps us to live walking forward. And when God baptizes with the Spirit today, he gives the same, I'm gonna tell you right now, if Paul or Peter walked into this building and somebody gets the real deal of filling with the Holy Spirit, you know how they're gonna know? the same way that they knew back then. But we want to get fancy today. You know what we want to do? We want to widen the strike zone so little Billy can throw a strike. 
Listen, if little Billy can't throw it over the strike zone, he's not a pitcher. I don't care how much he wants to be. Hear me. I don't care how much somebody wants to be in the church triumphant. You've got to come through the door and you've got to hit the strike zone according to the word of God. We can't widen the plate of salvation so that we're more comfortable about more people joining the church. We have to make the zone the same zone that was. Can I finish? I'm about half an hour into this right here. So thank you for your patience here. I'm on my final descent here. Biblically, biblically, there is a great difference between covenant people and all other people. In every Bible covenant, there was a seal or an oath which sealed or signed the covenant. Sometimes it was spoken, sometimes it was an act of God or the other party. Sometimes it was a ceremony that sealed the covenant, like, 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 like Old Testament circumcision, the ceremony, the act, it sealed the covenant with Abraham and God. But it wasn't man who set the, it wasn't man who set the, the seal. It wasn't man who set the boundaries. It was God who set the boundaries and man could just enter covenant by obeying God and coming in the way God said to come in. With, with, in every Bible covenant, there's been signs and seals. With Adam, he put clothing on people. We're still wearing it. We're still wearing it. There is labor and sorrow and childbearing. We're still having it. You have to labor by the sweat of your brow. Work is not part of the curse. And any, now, now you don't just look at, I'm sorry, teenagers. It's not just teenagers anymore. Now we gotta go all the way up to the my age people. Work is not an evil thing. It's not a part of the curse. Work is something that God gave us to do as a duty. And when you do it, there's a thing of, hey, I got that done. That comes from God, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Nothing greater than a completed task. That comes from God saying, hey, you're laboring, you're doing it. You had something finished. There's a wholeness there. There's a wholeness in finishing the work. Hello. Every covenant. Noah. He put the rainbow in the sky. The fear of animals that man, that they have for man, it's still upon us today. Abraham, it was circumcision. In Moses, it was law written on the tables of stone. Those were the seals of those covenants. They were the signs. They were external things, not just external things. They weren't just external things that reflected an inward work. That's not just what they were. They were a mark upon an individual that when you had circumcision, that's the only way you could get into the temple. You could only get in through circumcision. And I'm sorry to say this, but you had to show that before you could get in. Now, I don't know if they made Nicodemus go every time, but if they didn't know who you was, and you claimed to be a Jew, and they didn't know who you was, you know what they did? They said, uh, we need to see your membership card. I'm not trying to be crude right here. But they checked for circumcision. Because if you weren't circumcised, you were, you were cut off. It was the sign of the seal that you were in obedience to God, that you were in covenant with God. And every covenant that God ever made, he gave signs and a seal that showed the entrance and the keeping of the covenant. Hello? The new covenant, the one we live in, it too has signs and seals. Ephesians 1.13, we are sealed 
with the Holy Spirit of promise. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In whom we are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We are buried with him in baptism. Wherein also we are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And how did God raise him from the dead? By the Spirit. And if the same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you. They're signs, they're seals of the covenant. And the only way to get in the covenant is to have the seal put upon you. And there's no act of man that puts the seal there. In this one, we have faith and it's God who does all the sealing. It's God who does the forgiving. It's God who does the washing. It's God who does the filling. It's God who does the leading. It's God who does the guiding. It's it's the spirit that does the sanctifying. It's the spirit that's gonna do the glorifying. It's all, this is a spiritual covenant, ladies and gentlemen, that we've, we've entered into. This new covenant is a spiritual covenant, but there are seals and signs to this covenant. In the Old Testament circumcision, stand with me. In the Old Testament circumcision, In the Old Testament, circumcision was the initiating rite. Somebody say the initiating rite. Look at your neighbor and say circumcision was the initiating rite. Along with that initiating rite came a whole lot of promises. That's why David said, you know why David said, called, called Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine? You know why David would go out to, David never was an underdog. Even, even, in, even with ballistics. I've said to this church before that a stone slung in the hand of an average thrower will travel 300 feet per second or 300 yards per second or 300 feet per second. 300 feet per second. An Israeli ballistics expert said that that has the same stopping power as a 45 caliber handgun. So Goliath brought a knife to a gunfight. David never was an underdog. But David said this, he said, this uncircumcised, you know what that meant? This man out there is not in covenant with God. And we are. And if we're in covenant with God, that guy don't stand a chance. So the seals are not just about doing something. It's not, but there's initial acts of entrance to the covenant that without the initial evidence, without the initial understanding, while entering the covenant, you can't have the promises of the covenant. Old Testament circumcision was the initiating rite of that Old Testament covenant. In Acts chapter two, repentance, water baptism in the only saving name, calling on the name of Jesus Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit were the initiating rites of the new covenant. Romans 2 tells us that New Testament circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. Landing gear is down. Pastor, what shall we do? What shall we do? If the apostle Peter was preaching today, just let me say, I am not I have no authority to 
put the final verdict on anybody's life. That's what judging is. I can assess by the word of God some things, but I can't, I can't judge nobody. I don't judge a religion, a denomination, none of those things. And I, sometimes when you get passionate about truth, you can seem like you're going after, and I'm not going after any individual or anybody's relationship with God. Just simply saying that there's a way that God set this up. And if we want to be in covenant with him, we have to do this the way he set it up. No matter how you wanted it, if you, if you were going to be part of the Abrahamic covenant, you had to be circumcised. If you weren't, the Lord said, I'm cutting them off from my people. You see, we are children of Abraham by faith. And if we're going to be part of that Abrahamic covenant, we have to have circumcision too. But the circumcision of the new covenant is not one of the flesh. It's one of the spirit. And how are we circumcised? When we die in repentance, when we're buried with him in baptism, and when we're filled with his spirit and raised to walk in a new life, that is the circumcision of the new covenant. And it takes all of it, ladies and gentlemen, to enter covenant. If you die and are buried, but you're not resurrected, there's no life there. And you can't be resurrecting what hasn't already been killed or died out and buried in baptism. All right? All of it has to be an act. All of it together constitutes the initial entrance into covenant that we live in today. What shall we do? Well, if the Apostle Peter was preaching today, what do you think his answer would be? He'd give the same answer that he gave on the birthday of the church. If the Apostle Paul was here today, he didn't say, have you believed in your heart? Have you confessed the Lord as your Savior? He didn't say that to the disciples. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And when they didn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit, then he said, well, if you don't know about the Holy Spirit, you must not understand about baptism in Jesus' name. No, we were, we were baptized under John's repentance. Oh, well, John, that was good. That was a great step. That was a great step. You got a God conscience and obviously you're trying to follow the Lord, but let me explain how you get in covenant with him. You got to take on his name. You got to be baptized in the, in the sea, which is water, and you got to be baptized in the cloud, which is the spirit, the same way that the Old Testament Israelites were baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's how you enter covenant with God in this day and age. Exodus 25, 40, I end with this. Go back, and, it's one of our original scriptures, sis. 25 and 40, let's put it up there. He warned Moses, he said, you're getting ready to build this lampstand here. And he said, I want you to remember, you've got to make this after the pattern that was showed you in the mount. You've got to do it according to the pattern that I showed you. Because how I'm showing you is how you enter covenant with me. You can't get in any other way. Matter of fact, Jesus said this, anybody who tries to get in in any other way except through the door is a thief and a robber. I'm not trying to make it a political issue, but obviously immigration is a huge issue in America right now. And I just want to say this, we need to be careful. We need to be careful, born again believers, how adamant we, 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 we disdain people that are looking for freedom. Be careful. We need to show the love of God in everything that we do. But I know this as an American. 
If you want, you're welcomed into the country, but you've got to come through the door. And no matter how much we want people to have the blessing of God in their life, no matter how much we really want and we want to show the love of God, you cannot come in over the side. Jesus said you've got to come through the door. You've got to come through covenant. I want to say this. We do not seek tongues in this church. We do not seek tongues in this church. You want to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't seek tongues. He never told us to seek tongues. That's just the supernatural sign that he gave as the initial entrance of the covenant. The fruit of the Spirit is the proof that you're growing in the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are proof of the maturity of the operation of the Spirit, not the infilling of the Spirit. Can I beg of us today that if we want to be filled with the Spirit, we do not seek tongues. We tell you to seek Jesus to fill you with His Spirit. Oh, come on now. Apostolics, if we don't get back to basics, Everything about our being needs to desire Jesus to do a work in our life. So what I want to tell you on the radio, on Facebook, or sitting in this congregation today, if you've not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost just like they did when the covenant was initiated in the book of Acts, I want to tell you to take your relationship with God. Take John's baptism. Take everything, every step that you've made toward God and just come a little bit further. I want to encourage you to come into the holy place. I would ask you to ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit because the Bible has proven that the only way we're filled with the spirit is when he does it. Not when we do something, but when he does it. And he gives us a supernatural sign so that we know it's been done. Everybody raise your hand all over this building. Oh, somebody make a covenant with God right now. I know people that have, keep your hands raised. I know people that have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost in their shower. In their shower while they were getting ready because they just said, Lord, I want, I've got to receive your spirit. It doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter to God. But they knew they were filled with the spirit because they had the same evidence. The same God-given evidence that the apostles got. That's the spirit I want. That's the spirit I want. I want to speak to our church as you move out to come and pray. If you've not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost like they did in the Bible, I would ask you to step forward. Nobody is, no, everybody has to make this step. We're just going to pray with you. I would ask every believer in the house to make your way forward. Make a covenant with God. This is a spiritual thing. This is a real deal thing. This isn't a singing act. This isn't a clapping of hands act. This is a spiritual covenant. Hallelujah. Come on, come on, all over this building. Oh, not man's way, not man's way. We want to do this God's way. Everybody, if you're coming up, come all the way up front. Come all the way up front. Make room for everybody that's coming. Make room. Find the place. Come right on up. I run inside the phone.